1: Dave. Hey, Dave.
2: What is going on with yourself today? I mean, what difference does it make podcast?
1: Well, I'm still standing.
2: Oh, <laughs> look at you. Hey, so yeah, we're talking about Elton John today.
1: We're talking to Jillian Gar, who is the author of the beautiful book, Elton John at 75. It is a gorgeous coffee table book, but also biography.
2: This coffee table book, it's got all the memorabilia, and it's beautifully written. I love these things. I'm really a big Me fan. Too. I'm a big fan, yeah.
1: So you can find outtakes of this interview with Jillian Garr on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast, and we'll also be posting on all our other social media at WDDIM Podcast.
2: Why don't we get into it right now? This is Jillian Garr, author of Elton John at 75 on the What Difference Does It Make Podcast.
1: I'm here. Been waiting for you. All right. Hi, Jillian. Thank you for being patient. How are you? And where are you? We assume you're in Seattle. Yeah.
0: Where are you guys?
1: Los Angeles. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to go down there soon.
2: Like uh, middle of November, perhaps uh, like November 20th?
0: Beginning of November.
2: Oh, well, you're missing a big show. I don't know if you know this, but this guy named Elton John is playing at Dodger oh. Stadium. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he has some contests now if you make a donation to his foundation, his AIDS foundation that, um, you know, you can be in a contest to win tickets to that show.
2: He's all about charitable contributions. And I mean, that's been what drives him now or yeah, part of what I mean, there's so much that drives him, but his charities are, are something that's that's really been important to him.
0: Yeah, that's something I was impressed with in, in working on this. You know, he's so dedicated to doing this charitable work and to do it in a way that's more meaningful than simply writing out a big check which he could do he really gets involved and you don't always see that
2: in la it's the academy awards he does his um uh, yeah
1: is it is the Art- M-Far pre-oscar bash you ever um, been invited
2: I- to one of those
1: me yeah <laughs> sure no, no. no
0: Come not on. yet i should say <laughs> you
2: wrote the book on him come on he should let you in
0: Well, I don't know if he, if he let in all the people that wrote books on him, that would, uh, it might drown out all the others. You know, he'd want people with more money in there anyway, because I think they have auctions and stuff.
1: Something I didn't, I didn't know. He felt like he wasn't doing enough charitable work after Ryan White's death. He said that he hadn't, he felt like he hadn't been doing enough.
0: Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Going through that whole experience of being with Ryan and then being there at the end when he was dying and, and going through all that with the family and seeing how they dealt With the pressure and all that it really yeah that seems to have been you know a wake-up call but then the other thing is that shortly after that he got sober clean and sober and i think that also was a big turning point for him in doing that because now he had you know the energy and the time to get involved in this stuff whereas before when he was lost in his addictions you don't have that so that was probably an even more major factor
1: Like a perfect storm. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. when he came through. Took a while, took a couple years. Yeah, I don't know if you read his memoir, but it's very moving how he writes about that part of his life. And after getting out of rehab, just really, really taking it slow and not touring and just trying to live more like an average person, taking his dog for a walk every day and doing things that perhaps he hadn't done for himself in a while because, you know, you have all your minders around you doing those things for you. But I think it really just put him back in touch with himself.
2: You wrote a book on Elvis and his manager had a huge effect on his career and, yes. you We're know, the to worst. the detriment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Elton also yeah. had this manager, but he and he kept him for a long time. It seems like around the same time that he devoted, started to focus on himself is when he dropped, uh, finally dropped to his manager, John Reed. Do you think that's tied together at all? Or?
0: There was quite a bit of, of separation there. They didn't all happen at the same time. Because the Ryan White and the getting clean and sober, that was late 80s, early 90s. And he actually stayed with John until I think this century.
2: Uh, I believe it was 98 that he, mm. he was dropped.
0: Oh, maybe it's just recently that his husband has taken over as manager. And so I conflated the two.
1: <laughs> so you're saying there was a lapse between John Reed and, and Furnish managing oh, yeah.
0: him? Yeah, because that, that's more recently. Yeah. But I mean, Ryan White died in the late 80s. So that's like a decade before getting severing ties with John Reed.
2: What was your opinion on John Reed? I mean, it, obviously, he was beneficial for Elton, and Elton saw the benefits. Do you think he had the best yeah, manager think- possible for his career?
0: certainly at the beginning, they seemed to work together well. And, you know, obviously things went well for them. And, you know, you mentioned Elvis earlier and throughout Elton always had more say in the direction of his career than Elvis ever did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it certainly wasn't quite that destructive or as all encompassing a relationship. I think the fallout came just over financial discrepancies, didn't it? There were things wrong with the books and well, that can happen over time. That's why when you have a lot of money, I mean, it's interesting. We all think, oh, if we won the lottery and got $40 million, <laughs> life would be great. And you know, yeah, maybe getting $40 million solves the problems you had when you were living on $40,000. But now you have just a new different set of problems, the problems of having forty million. Mm-hmm. One of which is that, you know, people will take advantage of you. You know, sometimes long-term relationships slip into that. Oh, I can just skim a bit off here and there, and then you get hopefully the person wises up before it gets too far. I mean, something happened like that with George Harrison, too, didn't it? And, and his manager, who ripped him off terribly, to the point that, you know, when he was taken to court, and in order to pay the money back, well, he didn't have it. And, you know, what can you do? You can't get blood from a stone. And I think his manager died, or the ex-manager by then, died before Harrison did. So it was good that uh, Elton was more on top of that and caught things before they got too bad
1: they had a personal relationship also
0: yeah they and did.
1: consider that at least the way i've read to be also be a contributing factor to who he is and and you know coming out when he did
0: i don't know that that really had anything to do with his coming out though i think yeah here's where it got kind of blurry around the edges i believe they were involved first you know they had their personal relationship first and they moved in together and then it was after that that john began taking out looking after his management which i think the record company said They were fine. They were happy with that, because who better to get Elton out of bed in the morning than the guy who's there with (laughs) them? But that ended by about the mid-70s. And it's interesting, you know, his supposed coming out in Rolling Stone at that time, in the 70s, I mean, where he said he was bisexual and said how he wanted to have a long-lasting relationship with someone. But he doesn't mention that he had until recently just been in a relationship like Mm -hmm. that, because he was with John, personally involved, for a couple of years. You know, he doesn't mention that at all. It just just makes it sound like he was just single all the time. I mean, and then of course, he gets married in the 80s to a woman. Mm. So people are thinking, well, maybe he really is bisexual, but that didn't last too long, fell apart after a couple of years. I think I'd I'd say maybe cleaning soap, getting clean and sober was really the turning point for all that stuff of getting to feel really comfortable with himself and not coming out per se because it had been known that he'd involved with men and was carrying on the rock and roll lifestyle but it wasn't really until the 90s that he just began being more comfortable with being out and yes this is my boyfriend now partner now husband that he became and um, it was interesting in his autobiography what he talks about going out with David Furnish at first for him it was really kind of like the first time he'd gone out with someone in just sort of the average type of relationship that other people might have because this wasn't a guy that, that he was taking care of because he was the big star with all the money. He said, you know, David had his own place. He had his own car. He had a job. It was just like Mm -hmm. getting together with a regular person. And that was a new experience for him (laughs) in his thirties or whatever age it was. But yeah, from that point on, he's just been really comfortable in Mm -hmm. acknowledging who he was. I think obviously kicking the drugs out was what made the big difference. He even said that later, he realized in retrospect, that one reason, and I'd always wondered, well, why did you marry a woman? And He said, I thought this was very interesting, how he thought, well, I haven't had successful relationships with men, so maybe I should be with a woman. And you think, well, yeah, I could see the logic in that. But then later, after he stopped drinking and drugging, he realized, okay, the problem wasn't I was with the wrong gender. The problem was that I was too out of it on these substances. And once he was grounded and healthy, he could make better choices for himself, which also makes sense.
2: Okay, so the reason we're talking with you, I guess we should mention you have this book out. Uh, it's called Elton John at seventy-five, and it's seventy-five different points in Elton's career. How did you choose this? You actually uh, you you touched on George Harrison. You have another book that's called "A Hundred Things Beatles Fans Should Know and Do Before yeah. They Die." Are yeah. there any? Okay, so give me some Elton John things you should know and do before you die. Is this the same type of tone uh, as that book?
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean, I did another in that series, "The Hundred Things on." Elvis. And then, you know, they wanted little boxes throughout of 20 other things. So I guess it's really kind of like 120. So I guess it was used (laughs) to doing list type things. So 75, that's great. That's not even 100. Well, the thing is, you want to kind of spread it out. So you don't have everything from the 1970s, you have to have stuff from later in his life and career. And some of the things just, they just come to mind pretty quickly. I mean, there's obviously all kinds of highlights in the 70s you could pick. But then later in his career and life, because it has life things too, not just career, you had, well, his marriages, we have just been talking about them. Both of those are in there. And getting clean and sober. And writing his autobiography. And playing at Princess Diana's funeral. That's something that immediately comes to mind. And then his work on musicals, The Lion King. There he had to think, well, which ones to mention? Because he's actually worked on a number of musicals now. And The Lion King, of course, is most important because that was the first one. And it was so phenomenally successful. And then I picked Billy Elliot because that that seemed to be the second most successful. Running for many years. I mean, I think they only closed it in London because of the pandemic. But, you know, even now he's continuing to do things. I was thinking, if my deadline was six months from now, say, some moments I might put in would be his working with Britney Spears on a single. You know, just... Out of the blue, he does something else with her, and then he just played at the White House and was given a medal for his humanitarian work, which he, he didn't know he was going to get. It was a surprise, so that would obviously be a highlight, too.
1: So Elton John at 90? Well,
0: <laughs> well, heck, 90, that's just 15 other things, isn't it, from 75, and we've already got two, so yeah. that's 13 down. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I mean, he's not stopping. I just got an email today that he's adding another show in Denver, this never ending tour. It's, you know, it's like a Bob Dylan tour. It's not going to end. I sense that he's enjoying playing for everyone. He he loves all this adulation. I don't understand. I mean, I, I guess I understand why he's quitting, not quitting, but just leaving the road. But clearly this is not going to be the last we hear of Elton John. He's going to still be recording.
0: Oh yeah. And certainly performing live. He just didn't want to do the long tours. He said he wanted to be around his kids more and watching them Mm -hmm. grow up, which is something parents can appreciate. But what may have happened, you know, we had the pandemic, so he was off the road for probably two years or so. I can't remember when this last one started or when when the tour restarted, that is. But, you know, they're older now. And, of course, when kids get to be teenagers, they kind of want to go off and do their own things Mm -hmm. more and not be with their parents so much. So maybe that's a part of it. I mean, he's had two more years to see them. I wonder if at some stage he'll just transition into doing a residency.
2: He has done that in yeah. Vegas.
0: Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, an obvious thing to do and uh, especially if it's at a place a major city like Vegas or if he did something in London, you know, people could get there pretty easily and it would draw a lot of people. I could see him doing something like that.
2: Well, you brought up the lockdown that brings up the lockdown sessions. Did you yeah. did you like that album? I mean, you know, he's he's collaborating with Eddie Vedder, Stevie Wonder, Stevie Nicks, you know, all these Dua Lipa, just wonderful artists. And he has this intense passion for new music. Just I love his Rocket Hour show that he does on Apple Music. He Mm. introduces me to new music. And I I just he's always had that. We've seen him in documentaries on, you know, he used to go to Tower Records and just buy up everything. (laughs) (laughs) He clearly has an intense love of music. So Lockdown Sessions, what was your opinion of that album?
0: a lot of people ended up making albums. You know, Paul McCartney did one. And I think other people have done them too. Mm. But yeah, he's always looking to do something new and different. As you say, he's a big music fan. And what's interesting is he's always listening to new music, not just the great stuff from the past, but he always seems to be out there actively seeking out new things. So yeah, it, it was just an obvious step that he'd want to work with all these people. Perhaps the lockdown as they called it, made it easier to do because people weren't out touring and doing a lot of things. So maybe it was easier to connect with other musicians and say, well, you know, you're not doing anything. Why don't we do this? So that might have helped him in in an odd way, getting to do that. But it's interesting to see what he does next. I mean, even if you don't like the new thing that he's done, at least it's something new. And he's always looking to stay engaged with it, not necessarily, you know, his own music becoming totally new and different but certainly promoting looking for and promoting other people's work
2: talking about elton john at 75 we are having a lot of fun with jillian gar but it is time to take a break and we will do that right now
1: Welcome back to the "What Difference Does It Make" podcast, and our guest Jillian Gar, author of Elton John at Seventy Five, reading your book, which is beautiful, by the way, the photos and everything. But I want to get to that. One of the things that it made me realize, I guess, differently than a than just a, a regular biography or autobiography, is that Elton John is in all our lives. He's he's always been there, and he's always doing something. It's different than listening, like listening to the Beatles, because the Beatles had their period of time, but Elton John has had this, you know, this long career. He's always been there for me. I listen. I remember him being in my house when I was a kid and I've always listened to his music. But seeing this and the way you broke it up made me realize just how long his career has been. Do you personally have a favorite era of Elton John?
0: I guess that would have to be the 70s because that was when those are the records that I listened to the most. I was a huge fan of Crocodile Rock, which it was funny to learn that Mm. he's not so crazy about that song. Yeah. And Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. That would be my favorite album because that was the one I listened to the most. At the school talent show, there was one bit where four girls got together and danced an interpretive dance to Funeral for a Friend, which, of course, would be a good one because it's mostly instrumental. Well, all instrumental. So I remember that, you know, still seeing that in the... It wasn't the gym, it was the cafeteria because that's where the stage was. If you grew up in the 70s anyway, he was so much a part of your life, whether you liked him or not, because he was always on the radio. As soon as he broke through in America, you know, all those songs were on the radio for, for really the rest of the decade. It was one of those times when you didn't really need to own the records because they were always being played somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine, well, I wasn't in college at that time, but I can, I can imagine it would be, you could probably walk across a college campus and hear them coming out of dorm room windows and stuff. It was, yeah, ubiquitous. And he'd always be in the paper for the outrageous costumes, you know, like the baseball suit he wore at the Dodger Stadium (laughs) game, which, oh, that must be my favorite outfit. It just looks great. And he looks great (laughs) in it. Plus, he just always seemed like he was having such a good time.
2: So when was the first time you you saw Elton John perform live?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, I've only seen him perform live once. It was in, in 2014. And it was actually on a tour for the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album where he did most of the album in that tour. I reviewed it for the Seattle Times. And I was just looking at my computer and I got a few photos. For some reason, I didn't take very many. I'm not sure why. But at one point during the show, during the second half of the show, he took a break and he went down front and he started signing autographs for people. And I thought, wow, I've never really seen someone doing that during the show. (laughs) Well, of course, he's not going to have a signing afterwards, not with this kind of crowds. Yeah, people had brought album covers and they were down front and they're holding them up and so that was entertaining.
2: When I saw Shania Twain, she did that. That was the first time I saw that before. Mm-hmm. Like she would just go across the stage and just with a pen and just saw, just start signing things. I thought that was just like a country thing. And perhaps Elton saw that and was like, Oh, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll try that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've seen you know, I've seen people on occasion, maybe they bring one person out on stage for some special mm-hmm. reason or other, but I just hadn't seen someone after they do a song, like go down and sort of sign all the different albums that are being offered.
1: The audience is always aware of when the artist is engaging just by eye, you know, the way they they interact or just even make eye contact with the audience, as opposed to just looking out into the ether. And that's just another way of making it personal. i would never seen him do that. That's really nice.
0: Yeah. Or talking in between songs. Audiences like that. Instead yeah. of just saying, well, here's my next song from the such and such album. Talking to them. Though it's interesting, some performers, you see them, if you happen to see two shows in a row or two shows on the same tour, sometimes it's interesting to hear how some of the chat, they just say the same thing in the next city.
1: <laughs> it's actually kind of painful. Yeah. I mean, I know it, it has to happen, oh, but it, it's hard.
2: It does. I actually saw Barbara Streisand, her, her last tour, and I was at like a far angle to the side, and she had cue cards that she oh. was reading from. <laughs> oh. So it was, I mean, it was fine. Because, I mean, it was Barbara. So like, okay, whatever. You You'll know. accept
1: anything. Yeah.
2: Just share this. <laughs> this is, this is wonderful, but it didn't, you know, and she's a good enough actress, you know, she can pull this off where it seems kind of impromptu, but it was, it was kind of funny. Just just like, Oh yeah, look at that. That's, and it made sense for Barbara Streisand to like, okay, I want to script out every little moment and make sure everything is perfect. Yeah, it is nice. I think, and that might be when Elton became sober and like, okay, I, I you know, I've got things I'd like to say, or I'm, re, I'm more relaxed on stage. I think mm-hmm. that, that's probably mm-hmm. what was going on. I would imagine, possibly. Holly had mentioned she knows I'm a big soccer fan. I've been watching Welcome to Wrexham, and Elton was, you know, before Wrexham, there was Elton bought Watford, and he. Create. He created his own amazing soccer team that you know he grew up watching.
0: Yeah, th- that must be a thrill when you're a kid to go see your favorite sports team, and then later you actually own the team. I mean, <laughs> what kind of thrill would that be? I know some people end up owning teams, but it's maybe not necessarily the the team they grew up watching. But yeah, right. you think of Elton as a kid with his dad going through or stepfather uh, going through the you know taking the training, walking through the street to the stadium and watching the show and, or the show, the game, not the show. (laughs) Just how important that was to him and how he kept statistics on the football scores. Like he kept statistics on the record chart scores. So yeah, that was a big deal for him when he could finally purchase Watford and um, just getting more involved in the club. I like some things he mentioned in his autobiography about that his first stint as owner, because I think he's stepped down and become president on more than one occasion but anyway that first stint he said that they didn't really give him any special concessions because he was Elton John and didn't fawn over him excessively and that they expected him to do his part and pull his weight and he mentioned how one time he came to a game with a bad hangover because this is still in the 70s it's during his drinking period and he said the team manager just chewed him out for it later for his behavior and saying you know you let the club down he said no one in his own entourage would have dared say anything like that to him. Yeah. But he felt ashamed because he knew it was right. He deserved the dressing down. So yeah, it kind of took him out of that showbiz world as well. That was sort of an interesting kind of um, side benefit for him.
1: He was obviously passionate about it. And I love that description about walking through town, getting to the
0: Yeah, joining stadium. fans and finding your place yeah. to stand in the terraces, yeah. which... I couldn't stand to do that. When I went to England the first time, I was taken to a football match, and we go in the stands, and you have to stand, and it was just awful. I mean, there aren't even any seats. I know I watch I watch games now, and people stand, and I just I don't understand it because you have a seat. But in this match I went to in England, there wasn't that option. You just you just stand there, and it was so awful because I never liked standing for a long period of time, even though I was younger then. Yeah, I just never went to another match. (laughs) No, this is not for me. It's interesting watching uh, when you go to shows with, um, say, an older audience. Because I I just saw Ringo Starr. I saw Mm -hmm. him in in the brief window where he didn't have COVID. Because, you know, he had COVID Mm -hmm. and canceled his shows up to the 9th. And then he started again in Seattle on the 11th. But a few days later, he said he had COVID again. So the rest of the tour was canceled. So I got to see him in a nice place in uh, Benaroya Hall, which is a symphonic hall. And maybe if it was a younger crowd, people would have stood the whole time. But not this time. You know, it's kind of older. And uh, so people would stand up for some numbers, and then you're all sitting down for others.
2: <laughs> well, you're you're from Seattle, and you wrote a book on Nirvana. I'm sure you were. Were you at a Nirvana show and standing up and, you know, feeling that, that energy? Were you in Seattle in the early 90s? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I guess the most exciting show I saw was this uh, secret show they did, and this is after they were big, in 92. October fourth they opened for Mud Honey. Mud Honey had a new album out. So they were doing some shows and Nirvana came along to open. Uh and they were, you know, secret shows. You just had to get word of mouth to get in. And I think we were just all kind of awestruck at, at seeing a band like Nirvana in a small club again. So people stood still for the most part. They didn't they didn't mosh a lot.
2: They stood still. <laughs> they're just in shock.
0: Mouths yeah, game. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's really them and they're just I guess the last couple of times I've gone to clubs, they haven't really been huge draws. So there's more room to move around. And I I like that better. (laughs) I'm starting to think maybe I'm getting towards the end of my, my club going days. I don't really (laughs) want to be in a crowd jumping (laughs) up and
1: down.
2: Oh, come on. It's still fun.
1: (laughs) Dave recaptures his youth. Every time he goes to a show, Mm -hmm. I'm not much of a stander; I I stand with the crowd unless you're dancing to me. Mm -hmm. If you're dancing, then standing is good. If you're not dancing, why not sit? Why not be comfortable?
0: It's a show like an outdoor show, very relaxed in the parking lot of an art gallery. So very relaxed, small crowd. That was fine. You know, <laughs> through that they're going to do an in-store at um, Easy Street Records. Now that's the store Elton would like looking at. I wondered if he still goes out to record stores.
2: I'm sure he does. I mean, he. Li- I just read though that he's moving, or I mean, he's. Got multiple homes. I thought his residency was in Atlanta. That's that was like his home, but he just bought a house in Toronto. I don't know if you. It, I just read about it this week. It, mm, it's a. Uh, a it's called a uh, King Toronto. There's actually going to be like a tree that grows in the main atrium. But he's investing in uh, Toronto. I guess he likes uh, likes Canada.
0: Well, his husband's Canadian. Oh, so there yes, we go. They're, okay, maybe near David's family or something. I don't know. That's oh. speculation. But the, but David is Canadian, so.
2: There it is. Okay, so very good. What is it, do you think, about Atlanta that Elton has embraced so much?
0: Hmm. I don't know if I've read him saying why. Possibly because it's the South, and the South is very different from the rest of the country. There's that laid-back feeling about it. The people are friendly. The food's good. And, of course, I mean, there's a, a wealth of music that's come to Georgia. That's come from Georgia. I mean, I mean to say, and the South in general. I mean, I bet he's investigated all those record stores.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I guess that also leads to uh, his relationship with Leon Russell and how he kind of helped oh, prop he him up.
0: Yeah, he loved Leon Russell. I thought it was really touching to read how he sort of he brought Leon back to make a record with him because he just happened to be listening to one of his songs and thought, "Gee, I wonder what Leon Russell is up to." And at that time, Leon wasn't doing all that well. He wasn't in the best of health and just living a more modest kind of lifestyle, which if you remember him from the seventies would have been a surprise. If these people don't die, then they're living somewhere. And what are their circumstances? Even if you made a lot of money in the seventies that, you know, that gets spent over time, Mm -hmm. 30 years later, you know, that, (laughs) what are you living on then? There are those kind of considerations. And he tracked him down and they had a talk on the phone and then Elton just thought, well, gee, maybe we should make music together. So he brought him back to make, to make their album together, which, you know, I thought that was very touching, but uh, he said on his first trip to America, playing at the Troubadour and Leon Russell was in the audience and he was so nervous about that, but Leon liked him. So, you know, an alliance was formed and, they watch each other's careers over the years, and I'm sure he must have been thrilled to give back to someone that he considered something of something of a mentor to him. He always has that generosity throughout his career. I mean, that's one thing you realize when you look at the different entries, and, you know, there's always, you just he's giving back or suggesting this or working with this person or telling a record company that person should be signed, all that kind of thing. Very generous.
2: I actually just saw an interview that Elton did talking about Britney Spears and his he actually said it's all about her for me. That's the reason, the sole reason he did this song is he wanted to help out Britney get her kind of get used to making music again, get excited about music. That was the only reason he cut this this new song and you know, I I think it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, I think also when he reaches out to someone like Britney Spears, I mean, you know, he's had those experiences too. They can relate to each other mm-hmm. on that level that another person however well-meaning cannot. I mean, he knows what she's gone through.
1: Your section on the rock hall and his back and forth on being <laughs> inducted into the rock hall. Do I go? I'm leaving. I'm I'm going. I'm leaving. I'm going.
0: <laughs> I know. I, that just seems so crazy, especially if you've agreed to be honored. I know alum- some people, Sex Pistols most famously were like, you know, we don't want to be a part of anything yeah. to do with that. And that's fine, you know, but just just that back and forth was just kind of, <laughs> it did get a bit ridiculous. Yeah. you either support it or you don't and if you've agreed to go then yeah just go through with it and if you're not going fine then don't go but yeah, yeah going and then getting irritated and leaving and then coming back and thinking well no i was right the first time i'm leaving and then leaving again i mean no wonder david Furnish was worn out by the end of it yeah. <laughs> does this always happen with you elton <laughs> yeah it doesn't seem like it ever happened that badly yeah, what if he'd done that when he was getting his knighthood? I'm at the palace. No, no, I'm going to leave. No, I'm coming back.
1: <laughs> but he was pretty clear on how much he respected the the queen.
0: Well, he'd received other awards before. I don't know the order of it. He might have got the CBE first or the OBE. You know, they have different grades of that.
1: Yeah. The
0: MBE, the Beatles got, that's the lowest one. And they kind <laughs> of go up from there. So by the time he got his knighthood, he'd actually had a few honors from the monarch. Obviously, always proud to be British and proud of his country and not moving away to avoid being taxed like others have. You know, he's always stayed in Britain. I think, you know, that's considered his main residence, even though he does have yeah. homes elsewhere.
2: Do you think it was his relationship with Jan Wenner? Was that, I, I haven't read Jan's book, but I'm sure he mentions Elton a few times in, in there. He, he must, because it was a, you know, Rolling Stone, you know, that it was that interview, right, where he said he was bisexual and... I'm sure they've knocked heads a number of times. Probably a poor review in <laughs> in Rolling Stone. I'm sure that I'm sure he, Elton reads reviews, especially in the '70s. That was probably important to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting in his own biography. He'll note that someone that a review a record got a bad review, and sometimes he'll agree and say, "Yeah, it wasn't that good." <laughs> I mean, you put out so many albums; they can't all be great, and or not every song on them is going to be great. But I can't really think of any other. Rolling Stone Stories. I haven't read Jan's book yet. I read the book he didn't like, Sticky Fingers, which that was very entertaining, and you'd probably both like that.
2: I I love that book, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the whole Mm -hmm. story about it, how the guy said, well, yeah, you can do factual corrections, but I don't want it to be authorized. But, but of course, that's why we have Jan's book, because he didn't like that other one. So he's putting this one out to set the record straight. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think maybe he was more beloved in Rolling Stone in, in the 70s anyway. I can't think of, there's one story in, in Sticky Fingers where um, the writer had turned his story on George Harrison, and then he was horrified to pick up the magazine and see how it had been changed to make it more negative. And he was so upset that he sent George Harrison his original text and said, you know, this is what I wrote originally. And George said later he was very glad he got that, because whoever wrote that other story was a real jerk. Or I think he said it in harsher terms. <laughs> yeah. It was a big deal for Elton to sort of come out. I mean, you know, saying he was bisexual and he really, when it seemed like practically all the relationships he had were with men, so I thought it was, you know, kind of a stretch. Or now I think that. Certainly I didn't at the time. I think people today can't really appreciate how big a story that was and what a big deal it was for someone to say even that much. I mean, it was reported on one of the national news networks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which you really can't imagine that happening now, unless it was, I don't know, some huge, yeah, a, a president or something. You know, you couldn't even say the word. You just, you'd have to sort of, miss. even that yeah. interview he edges a bit, and it was still considered controversial. And some people wouldn't play his records. And um, right, right. the sales started going down, though. though he contended they were sort of going down anyway. Uh, maybe it kind of meshed the two of them. Yeah, you think of then later in the 80s, I don't think there was a comparable Elton cover. But remember in the 80s they had the the cover with David Bowie on it and the headline said David Bowie straight. (laughs) Remember
1: that one? Opposite news.
0: (laughs) Or swearing all his wild seventies stuff.
2: Yeah. Did you do any research on like when when he said he was bisexual if there was other news articles or boycotts or like shocked? And you know, we're not going to play radio stations, say we're not gonna play your music. I mean,
0: in in his autobiography, he contends there wasn't, but then if you look at things that came out at the time, he says that there was a bit of blowback. So, you know, there obviously was some pushback at the time, and uh, some radio stations did not play his music after that for a bit anyway. I mean, he he ran into the same thing later when he was working on his movie Rocket Man, based Mm -hmm. on his life, and he said when he was talking with um well, they produce, but money backers at different studios. And some of them were saying, well, can you tone down the, the gay stuff a bit for a PG rating? He said, he said this in the Guardian. He said, I haven't lived a PG rated life. So he didn't. And, you know, if you see the movie, it's not really explicit. It does, but it does mm-hmm. make the case that, yes, this is a gay man who had relationships with men. That's pretty much all you do. But in some places around the globe, they've excised those scenes or not shown the movie because of that. He just didn't want it to be, you know, kind of whitewashed the way Bohemian Rhapsody was, I think.
2: Yeah, why couldn't he just be a straight man like Liberace, who clearly never, you know, he never came out. <laughs> he never declared his sexuality. He was yeah. he was a straight man. He was a man's man.
0: <laughs> you know, um, in London, someone, a paper had printed some sort of innuendos. They didn't call him gay because he couldn't be that explicit, Ben. But they just had some innuendos pointing that way, and he sued the paper, and he won
2: so <laughs> right. yeah no it's, it, it, that's how important it was you really he had to.
0: Him for telling the truth Man. and and he won anyway <laughs>
2: <Think> about that
0: <laughs> now that's someone i i regret not having seen yeah.
2: well will you go see elton on his um any of these final tours i mean he's you know he's still playing in he's going to the uk he's, it, this tour goes on till next year he'll play yeah. in the uk mm-hmm. a few times well, well not I a few know. a lot actually <laughs>
0: Well, ticket prices are just too much now, so probably not. You know, to get a good seat, really, especially in a stadium, you have to pay like 500, 600 bucks. Right. Yeah, I'll probably have to miss them this go around, unless that inheritance finally comes in. (laughs) We can can all.
2: Well, who knows? Maybe this book, uh, you know, get those royalty checks uh, (laughs) for the book will come in. Uh, We talked to the author of Bowie at (laughs) 75. (laughs) And he just said that they brought in pictures. He wrote the text and they brought in the pictures. Was was it the same way with you? Yeah,
0: yeah. That's one thing I love about Cordo. That's the main publisher. The books on Motor Books, a subsidiary of Cordo. But yeah, it's their own art department that does that, thankfully, because I sure don't want to do it. (laughs) It's a hassle. It's a lot of work. And in this case well in the case of both books not just getting photos but getting like pictures of memorabilia and stuff the tickets and the backstage passes and all that stuff so it's a lot broader than just photos they did all the photo research and the layouts and the design of the books so happily i'm not involved in any of that
2: <laughs> what's next what's uh, uh what's next on your docket
0: your lab bruce springsteen at 75 oh
2: i've <laughs> heard of him he's uh, he's good yeah there's a thing at the the Grammy Museum that just opened up a uh, a springsteen oh. exhibit that I will go to once or twice or three or four times it's just kind of <laughs> it's the old and john book is uh, it was so much fun these these really? coffee table things perfect Christmas gift right
0: yeah yeah that's what I say yeah. <laughs>
1: it really is beautiful it was really i i read it yeah, cover it to cover nicely yeah thank you thank you for doing this with us this
0: oh, well no it was fun it's always fun
1: we'll see you uh sitting down at one of your
2: favorite shows <laughs>
1: okay
2: all right bye uh, have a great day thanks jillian take care bye We enjoy talking to musicians, but it's also fun to talk about musicians with fans of the artist. And that's exactly what happened here with Jillian.
1: It was enlightening to me, as we talked about in the interview with Jillian, Elton John is ubiquitous in all our lives. This book really gives you an idea as to how long his career has been and continues on.
2: Especially someone like Elton John. There's only a handful of those people around that uh, Mm -hmm. continue to make new music and keep us excited about things and projects that they're working on, whether it be new music or charities or his radio show, which I, I still love. He's disca- He discovers new music and he turns me on to new music. We will always love Elton, so thanks, Elton.
1: And thank you to Jillian because you thanked Elton John for the music, for all the years of music and entertainment. But thank you, Jillian, for putting this book out there and for spending an hour with us.
2: And a big thank you to Steve Roth of Cordo Publishing, who puts out these amazing coffee table books. Thank you for liking and subscribing. Where else can they find us, Holly?
1: And thank you for checking us out on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast.
2: Beautiful. Okay, until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later.
1: Over and out.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.